When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. This is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you. And the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey everyone, welcome back to Better Call Paul, the show where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood, sports, and entertainment. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker, former Marvel lawyer and current big law media attorney. And I'm your other co-host, Mesh Lakani, founder of Lola Media. Paul, I'm sitting in Washington, D.C. today, visiting family. It's my birthday weekend. Happy birthday, Mesh. Thanks, bro. I appreciate it. I don't feel old, but I feel old. Well, that's the thing. You got to make sure you drink water at the end of the night and lots of it. (laughs) You know, I'm now on the Pedialyte train. Okay. That's the only thing that helps me survive. You know, I was thinking last week it was a tour de force, right? It was Rage. Then my client Sasha had a show on Friday. Then there was the boat thing. Then I saw an Indian American DJ on Sunday, Cashmere. So this is a welcome week off for me. Dude, that sounds intense. Your boat trip day sounded absolutely insane. Sounded like a blast. Yeah, Sunday at the Mirage was actually 10 times worse, but I'm glad glad I can still do it uh, every once in a while. Dude, every once in a while. uh, You know, I I try to go for every other week, but uh, I'm feeling good, man. I love D.C. Washington, D.C. is great. I'm a newly become Arsenal fan. Oh, nice. My brother-in-law is a diehard Arsenal fan. One of my best friends is a diehard Arsenal fan. And I watched the All or Nothing documentary on Amazon Prime. And now I am and my sister are new Arsenal fans. I'm wearing an Arsenal journey right now. We're going to watch the game right after we finish recording. So let's get into it. Crazy week this week. A lot of stuff going on, which we will just briefly touch on. But wanted to talk about, because I'm a lawyer and I work for Marvel, I wanted to talk about another female Marvel lawyer. I guess Marvel's version of Ally McBeal, She-Hulk, came out this week on Disney+. Plus. Mesh, did you see it? What do you think about it? You know, I haven't seen it yet. I've watched the trailers. It looks entertaining. It's a 30-minute comedy. It looks funny. I think introduction of, like, different characters that we haven't seen in a while. Obviously, Hulk being one of them. She-Hulk being another one. The Abomination. All sorts of characters that are in the MCU that we haven't seen in a while. I'm intrigued. My only thing about it, it's a little too CGI for me, but... The character seems great. Um, it seems like it'll be a good show. You think they should have found a green six foot seven woman, um, <laughs> like a, a second person to play, maybe like Bri- Brianna of Tarth, just paint her green. This is the, 
Yeah, I guess I guess how would you do it? I mean, they did it back in the old days. What was his name? Lou Ferrigno? Yeah, man. They did it with him. Yeah, that's true. Maybe they could get someone from the WNBA and just like bulk him up a little. Or from the WWE. I think it's well, I don't think they have any six seven female wrestlers, but no. If, no, they don't. She holds she's tall, huh? Yeah, she's tall. I mean, she wears it well. Tatiana Maslani is only five two, right? So oh, you probably right, had right, to use right. some CGI to get that extra foot and a half. Yeah. But I think it's interesting because Marvel, you know, they get to be a little bit more experimental with the Disney Plus stuff. Yeah. Like this show is a sitcom and obviously has nothing like Moon Knight, nothing like Miss Marvel, which is more of like coming of age. Uh, So the whole, I mean, I think it's a cool medium for them to allow them to experiment a little bit more. I haven't seen it, but as I've said, it's it's really not an indication of me not being a fan. It's just that it's too much content for me to keep up with. Yeah. The Disney Plus stuff, but- you know, the reviews, I think, are mixed, but generally yeah. positive. 86% on Rotten Tomatoes, but who knows what that means these days. Yeah, for TV, I think the expectation is you got to be like mid to high 90s to like get my interest. In you it. think so? Yeah, Rotten Tomatoes on TV is very unforgiving. That's true. The bar is very high. My favorite legal television show is Better Call Saul. Great name, great show, and I think it has a 98 on Rotten Tomatoes, which is probably deserved. It is a great show. It's one of those rare spinoffs that may have surpassed the initial Genesis show. I mean, look, I'm not caught up on Better Call Saul, but I hear that that last season is absolutely amazing. Yeah, well, it ended last week, so kudos to Better Call Saul's amazing run and potentially some inspiration behind Better Call Paul. (laughs) Some, just some. I was reading some articles, and it was basically saying that female-led shows are really important. Female-led movies shouldn't be canceled, or more women in the leading roles, especially when it comes to these like superhero-type movies. I know that Zoe Saldana, who plays Gamora from Guardians of the Galaxy, she came out on her Instagram and said about Batgirl being shelved, which she talked about, you know, which we talked about, which she said, not fair, truly atrocious act from a studio for what? A tax break? And I think it's one of those things where, yes, it's important to have female-led roles, but there is a balance of, if Batgirl was a bad movie, it's a bad movie, and then there are great movies that are made, and they're great female leads, I think. Yeah, like Prey. Prey was a great movie. Prey. Female lead, you know, last week. We female about. lead. Yeah, and, and I think with She-Hulk, I think it's exciting. I'm going to watch it. I'm sure it's going to be somewhat decent. I like all of them to some degree, all the Marvel Disney Plus shows, but I think in generally in the MCU, obviously Scarlett Johansson led the way with Black Widow. Big fan favorite. I think everyone was upset when you know she's not around anymore. You have Brie Larson, Captain Marvel, and of course you have Elizabeth Olsen as Scarlet Witch, which you could say is a co-lead in the recent Doctor Strange movie. And then you have Natalie Portman, Mighty Thor, Jane Foster, maybe more of a supporting role. Well, I mean, what I remember back when we were doing Thor 1, I mean, Natalie Portman was the star. I mean, Anthony Hopkins, Natalie Portman, Chris Hemsworth was unproven, you know, up and coming. He had just done Star Trek and he was only in Star Trek for like a minute. So that was the role that kind of launched him and it became his franchise. Obviously, he was the titular character, but Natalie Portman was the star going into it. Yes, and then she wasn't really the star after that, and then she became the co-lead in the you know, most recent Love and Thunder where she played Mighty Thor and Jane Foster. I thought she was actually pretty good in it, but obviously people have mixed reviews about the movie as a whole. But I think the one that stands out most to me is the characters, and granted they're not the lead, but their supporting roles is Black Panther, where you have Danae Gurria as Okei, Lupita Nyong'o as Nakia, 
Letitia Wright as Shuri, and of course, Angela Bassett as Ramonda. And I think, you know, it'll be exciting to see what happens in Black Panther 2 as they probably fill these roles even more. So I'm excited to see that. I think they're going to be great at it. But yeah, I think, you know, it's important to support women in leading roles in Hollywood. But of course, you know, my thoughts on Batgirl, I think, are the same as you. I want to see it because I actually want to see, was it really that bad? Objectively, I don't think there's a reason why you can't have just as successful a movie with female leads if Batgirl wasn't good. But there's bad movies with male leads, like no question about it. But I think it is a bigger indictment of the decision makers, the people who are running the studios, the people who are greenlighting them, the people who control the purse strings. Like, I think there were rumors about that. Like, Marvel had so many movies before. Black Widow was the first theatrical release with a female right. lead, right? right? Objectively. And, yep. you know, why was that the case? We don't know. Is it purely about box office? Potentially it could be, but I think that can change. I think as fan bases mature and as as fans sort of support more content with female leads, you will see this start to change. Yeah, and I would say two characters that I'm very excited about, you know, Haley Steinfeld, Kate Bishop, and Florence Pugh as Yelena, who is Black Widow's sister, In Hawkeye, they were fantastic, and I think fans are genuinely excited about what they're going to do next and how they're going to lead some of the movies coming forward. And Haley Steinfeld was was good in Bumblebee, too. I mean, Bumblebee was was not my favorite Transformers movie, but a lot of people liked it more than some of the Michael Bay ones. But, you know, I'm a Michael Bay fan, so. I rank Bumblebee as my second favorite Transformers movie. Behind the first? Yeah. Oh, man. I think Transformers 3 is the best. I agree with you, but I put I put that second, then Bumblebee third. Okay, fair, fair, fair. Uh, and like I said, a ton of stuff happening this week, which in a normal week we'd probably discuss in greater depth. Walmart Plus and Paramount Plus announced a bundle offer where if you have Walmart Plus, you get the basic level for no added cost. The Big Ten, college football and basketball announced a media rights deal with NBC, CBS, and Fox for seven years, which is massive and completely sort of ushers in the next era of collegiate media rights and crazy implications on the market, which we can also discuss in a later week. And there's rumors that Regal, which is the second largest owner of theater chains in the U.S., is exploring restructuring or bankruptcy, which would have an enormous impact on the theatrical business. And Mesh and I have talked about that in the past. Like The whole industry is waiting to see if theatrical will recover to pre-pandemic levels. And it's not clear, but if Regal is saying that even the the quote-unquote recovery that we've had so far this year isn't enough to keep them afloat, that's not a great sign. But like I said, we're not going to dive into any of these this week because our main topic is the impact of the Indian entertainment industry in the U.S. and vice versa. So we'll dig into that. Let's take a break and then we'll get right into it. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Okay, Paul, India, movie scene, streaming, massive. 
pretty cool to just see the emergence of this come worldwide. It's obviously been massive in South Asia for a long, long time. But now it's almost like the world is getting to know how big this is and, you know, how important it is for cinema. Right. Agreed. And let's give people some background because so I think our audience, I would say, is you know pretty well educated. But just in case you don't know, India is the second largest country at 1.4 billion people. It's got a rapidly growing middle class. There's 22 official languages. So it's not like you know, there's one language that everyone yeah. speaks. There's literally, I mean, Hindi is the most popular language, but there's many other languages that are spoken by hundreds of millions of people. They have an enormous film industry. I think in any given year, there's between 1,600 and 2,000 movies produced. Probably yeah, man. four Crazy. to 500 of them are, are quote unquote from Bollywood, which is the Hindi focused film industry in India. But there's Telugu, there's Tamil, there's Kananda, there's there's all kinds of other languages. Bengali. Bengali, which I am. And then there's 800 TV channels. And the reason, so India has been around, obviously, for centuries, thousands of years. But the reason we're talking about it this week is because last week was the 75th anniversary of India's independence from Britain. And also a historical incident called the Partition, where... Britain divided what was once a unified country into Pakistan and India. And so that hits a special note for us because Mesh is Pakistani and my parents are from India. And I'm, I'm half Pakistani, half Bangladeshi. So I go, you know, there's partition and then there was Bangladesh getting their independence. Which was East Pakistan at one point. Yes, at one point and then got their independence. So layers and layers to it. The interesting thing I found is, you know, I grew up in Pakistan. I was born in Dubai, I grew up in Bangladesh, but then spent most of my 10 years from being a kid through senior year of high school in Pakistan. And when you come to the U.S., it's like this union of South Asians where right. it doesn't matter, doesn't matter where you're from. Like, we're brown, we're here, we stick together. Um, and and that's actually just like a, it's a lovely thing to see. Like, we could be from India, you could be from Bangladesh, you could be from Pakistan. But we all have something in common. We're from the South Asian subcontinent. Right. And I can I got some stats on that, too. So as of a year or so ago, there were 2.8 million Indians in the United States, which is actually 6% of the foreign born population. So we're actually Indians make up the second largest immigrant group in the U.S. behind Mexicans ahead of Chinese and Philippines. Mm. When my parents got here, there were probably only about 100,000 to 150,000 Indians in the U.S. So if you think about it, it's really wow. exploded into where they are today. And I think I remember growing up, there weren't other Indian kids in my classes. But now, like, you go, you see how well Indians are doing in sort of, like, academics and in the job market and in leadership. And so it's, like, a very cool population to be a part of well-educated, generally affluent. And so because of that, obviously streaming services like Netflix, Amazon, Disney, they want to target that market both internationally and domestically. It was really interesting to just read about the streaming services and the strategy they're taking with the booming market in India, like Netflix India. I mean, we've talked about YouTube before, like how massive Indian audiences are on YouTube and you know the most viewers, most channels, and obviously Netflix is paying attention to that too. And they're really kind of investing in that to make sure that with streaming, you have more access to the over billion people in India. And again, in Pakistan, Bangladesh, and all these other areas where a lot of people don't have access to theaters. And in this case, now they have access to a TV. And if they have Wi-Fi, they can stream. A lot of people use their phones. So 
it is really interesting to see like the investment in cinema, but also just moving that to streaming and how it's a strategy specifically for Netflix. So underscoring everything you said about the growth of the market, cricket is the biggest sport in India and in the region. Think of it as like the NFL to India. It, it's far and away the most lucrative sports league. The India Premier League rights were just auctioned and Disney Star India got the TV rights for $3 billion for five years. And TV 18, which is sort of a JV between Paramount and uh, Mukesh Ambani, who's the sixth richest man in the world, got the streaming rights for $3.04 billion. And so if you think about it, this five-year deal, the aggregate total rights fee is over $6 billion. The last five-year deal... It was less than half that. It was only $2.5 billion in aggregate rights fees. Wow, that's a big number jump. Yeah, and so the fee per game is actually about $15 million US per game. And if you think about it, that's higher than the rights fee for the NBA, which is less than $10 million a game, higher than MLB, which is $2 million a game, higher than English Premier League, which is $11.2 million a game, but it's less than the NFL, which is like in its stratosphere in and of itself, which is $36 million per game. So... If you think about the size of the market, the fact that these cricket rights are worth billions of dollars, right? Millions of dollars per game. And the fact that Disney had to lower their Disney Plus subscriber projections because they weren't able to get the cricket rights shows you the impact of this. And interestingly, Mesh, I wish I'm kicking myself. In 2008, when the India Premier League was created, the average team was valued at $67 million. Now, what do you think they're worth? Oh, man. You just gave me goosebumps because I got I feel like I've got to make a pretty massive bet here. $67 million, I would bet now, so like we're 12 years almost over that, um, more than 14 years later, uh, $120 million. The average value is $1 billion. Oh, my God. Yes. Seriously? Seriously. Jeez, man. That's like NFL territory now. It is. That's what we're talking about because of the fan base, because of the size of these TV deals. Wow. If your TV deals are generating a billion dollars or close to a billion dollars a year (sighs) and you have enormous fan bases, 67 million 15 years ago to $1 billion today. It's a great investment. Can you imagine 2008? You're just like, yeah, let's uh, let's invest in a couple cricket teams here. Why didn't we? Hell yeah. Well, I was still in mean. But yeah, and I don't ha- I didn't have 67 million, but um, I don't have a billion now. That's for sure. Now, now we see why Liv is getting into this game. <laughs> Cricket is it's a massive sport. I mean, I grew up watching it, especially those the World Cup India versus Pakistan games we grew up on. And uh, Paul, I think when the in 2023, when the uh, the World Cup is happening again, you and I, just like we did with Rage, except this time Pakistan versus India, we're going to watch it together. We're going to watch it. And actually, I think I have a trip planned to India in January 23. So we'll, we'll see. Maybe I can get on the ground and catch a game. I don't know exactly. I'm not familiar with cricket. I'm not going to pretend to be. But you can't argue with the dollars. No, no. If anything, more and more people should be paying attention to this. And it, it is one of those things like Americans don't get cricket, obviously, because they have baseball. And it's always been the thing like, oh, cricket, that's the game that lasts like you know, a week, right? I'm like, well, those are test matches, guys. Have you seen a one-day international World Cup game between two rival countries? It is amazing to watch. No, very cool. And I look forward to learning more about cricket. After the break, we'll dig into the more traditional film, TV, streaming side of things and talk about some of our favorite crossover and native Indian stars. 
jumping back in, Mesh, we were talking during the break. How have you not seen Triple R? You know, it's funny because for someone who says they never have time to watch stuff, you're making fun of me for not watching a three-hour movie. Now, one, that's all over Netflix, all over TikTok, but I haven't seen Triple R yet. I really, really want to. You know, this movie, man, this movie is all over the place in terms of like it's being recognized as this incredible like cinematic feat made by, you know, an Indian director, S.S. Rajamuli. It is three hours long and it's been a long time since India has been recognized for a movie potentially like as an Oscar contender. And they're saying that Triple R might this might be it. This might be the international potential win that they could get. I mean, it was awesome it's the most expensive i think it costs 70 million to make and it's gross yes. maybe 150 million 100. or so yeah um, in one day in one day worldwide it made 30 million dollars on their first day so maybe the highest grossing first day and then yes i saw yes. it on netflix jessica actually told me about it she said she had heard about it on tiktok or someone was talking about it, it had been in the top <laughs> 10 for like three weeks it was awesome i mean reading some articles about it afterwards i mean it it's like mythology, superhero. They're singing and dancing. It's like amazing. Takes place 100 years ago when India was a colony. And I think it's just like, it's very cool. And then there's kind of like a bromance slash, is it more than a bromance aspect to it? So definitely a cool movie. <laughs> so like if Netflix can license content or even more importantly, make content in India that plays well overseas, that's a game changer, right? Oh, yeah. I think social media plays a big part of this because TikTok will just show one of those scenes that's just absolutely outrageous and everyone's talking about it. And that's the only reason I know about Triple R like sitting with my head in the sand was because of TikTok. And I was like, what is this movie? And then I just started seeing it everywhere. Netflix, Triple R, not just like if you're in India watching it, it is like one of the popular movies that's being streamed in Netflix worldwide. And it's three hours, but like you can't even take a break. Like you, there's no downtime at all. And even when they do the singing and dancing, which I, growing up as a kid, I kind of thought all that stuff was cheesy. It really fit well in this movie. It, dude, the singing, you have to have the singing and dancing. And like, how do they find the time to work that in? It's like, well, no, we need at least 15 minutes of singing and dancing. <laughs> Can you imagine when they're making this movie, they have like a whiteboard and they're like, it's just like in the middle, it's singing and dancing. And then they're like, okay, we need superheroes. We need Jack dudes. Takes place a hundred years ago. There has to be some kind of like country unity where, you know, everyone's going to get super jazzed about, but it's all centered around singing and dancing, which at the end of the day, makes a great Bollywood movie. And we are using Bollywood incorrectly, right? Because actually, Triple R is a Telugu language film, so it's not Hindi language. Yep. Uh, but yep. we're using, like, Indian cinema, right? I, I think people can sometimes use the terms interchangeably, but wouldn't technically be correct. The impact of Indian cinema in popular culture, like music videos, musicals, Britney Spears music videos, of sort of, like, they have that same singing and dancing. Like, you'll see... Like, it's a fluid thing. So things that maybe originated in Indian cinema are now becoming prevalent worldwide in musicals and other culture. And aspects of superhero movies are becoming popular and incorporated into Indian content as well. So it's a sort of a give and take. And I think it makes everything better, right, when you can sample. One of the things I wanted to talk about was in the U.S., you can see yeah. there's a lot more South Asian uh, content being created either through South Asian comedians, South Asian writers, directors, South Asian showrunners, and South Asian actors. I know you like Miss Marvel, which I haven't seen yet. 
Yeah, I, I like Miss Marvel. It was cool. It was cool to see like a Pakistani family in New Jersey or Jersey City. And they had a whole episode on partition. I look, I think those things are really cool. Like one would be like, oh, you know, sometimes it's like too much. But at the same time, like, no, these people need to know what the history is. Like this is a massive population within the U.S. And I think it's really great. And it's one of those things, though, like especially for like South Asian audiences, it's not just like one movie or one show fits for everyone. Like, like I said, I'm Pakistani. I'm half Pakistani, half Bangladeshi. Some things work for me that I grew up with differently for people who grew up in the U S it might be a little bit differently there. You know, it is really interesting to see, like there's so much potential for the amount of content that can be created for all sorts of different audiences. It's not just like one fits all. Another example, which is like one of Jessen and my favorite shows is never have I ever, which is, I don't know if you've seen it. It's on Netflix. Season three just came out. Um, I mean that Mindy Kaling, it's her show. There's parts of it that resonate with me. There's parts of it that resonate with Jess. Jess grew up in Southern California. I grew up sort of Indian trying to fit in in school. And the whole thing about how she had to sort of live this double life and always had to walk on eggshells around her parents, but also wanted to seem cool and fit in, like, and had to do really well in school. And there's all this pressure. Like, I think we can all relate to that on some level. Yeah. Uh, and it's cool to see. I wish I had... I had taken acting more seriously growing up because maybe I'd be starring in some of this stuff, but it is very exciting. It is cool, man. And it's cool to see the crossover. You know, we were talking about earlier, massive, massive stars that are crossing over into Hollywood now. Obviously, Priyanka Chopra being one of the big ones, but, you know, everyone from Aziz, Hassan, Mindy Kalin, Deb Patel, Cal Penn, who's been there for a while, Padma Lashmi, who's also been there for a while. You know, Anil Kapoor, who was in, you know, Mission Impossible. I mean, there's so many and it's it's really Irfan Khan, Irfan Khan, who is also in Jurassic World and one of the Spider-Man movies, apparently, as well. It's cool. Yeah. Irfan Khan, R.I.P. Uh, died right at the start of yeah. COVID. Uh, ben Kingsley yeah. is like the you know, original crossover guy, played Gandhi. I think he did an amazing job. Is he half half British, half Indian? Yes. M. Night Shyamalan. M. Night Shyamalan. Man, he had a good run there. He's had a hard time replicating the success of Sixth Sense, but, you know, he's a Southeastern PA Philly kid like me. And dude, I love it. His first movie was just so good. There was nothing that was ever going to compare to that. That's the thing. They keep giving him shots on goal and he hits and then misses and then he hits and he misses. I think split. What was the one? The split split was uh, split was good, was good. And then, you know, I mean, I, I honestly haven't seen many of them, but. I really loved Signs. I know people are mixed feelings about that, but Signs was like one of my favorite movies at the time. I liked those types of extraterrestrial alien type invader stuff, and he did a good job with it. Yeah, in no particular order, here are a couple of my favorites. I would say, obviously, Slumdog Millionaire, The Man Who Knew Infinity, Life of Pi, Namesake, Lion. Namesake was amazing, man. It's sad though, right? It's like so sad, sad. but yes. But it's great. Yeah, and I and I, I love those movies, like really well done movies that tell that type of story. You know, one of the big hits for Indian cinema, which I believe got Oscar nominated for Best International Feature was The Lunchbox. Did you ever watch that from 2013? No, I haven't. You have to watch it. It's Irfan Khan. It's a love story. It is a beautiful, beautiful movie. Highly recommend it. It's kind of like namesake-esque, namesake-esque in terms of like the style, but it's it's like a it's a beautiful love story, and I highly recommend it. Okay, the lunchbox for sure. 
I actually liked um, Extraction. I know it was very violent. That's the Russo brothers. Chris oh, Hemsworth yeah. takes place in <laughs> Bangladesh. Great, it's like man. the main drug lord in India, the main drug lord in <laughs> yeah. Bangladesh. And they're like kidnapping each other's kids. It was pretty cool. Yeah. It was good. Look, entertaining movie. One could say kind of dumb, but great. Like I love, I love that stuff when it takes place. I mean, Slumdog Millionaire was that big crossover movie that represented. I want to see more of them. So look, Triple R is clearly something I need to watch and and I will watch it. One of the things I did want to mention is that one of the interesting things that Netflix did to, again, not only reach the wider audiences that don't have access to theaters, but they slashed their prices by 60% um, to make it last year, last year to make it more appealing. And it worked. More and more people now are becoming Netflix subscribers in India. And I think, again, with hits like Triple R, this is going to be interesting to watch. Well, and that's the thing, right? So we also want to talk about Amir Khan is making an adaptation of Forrest Gump, Lal Singh Chadda. Oh, right. And it's like, life is like <laughs> Golgapa or Pani Puri, where I'm from is what they call it. And it's like, keep, you have Pani one, Puri. you keep wanting more, and it doesn't, you know, whatever. That's so true. Um, but that's a really interesting idea because it's talk about crossover. Like Forrest Gump is iconic. I think it won six Oscars or something in 1994. Massive wins, yeah. Iconic Tom Hanks movie, and now it's going to be adapted to sort of fit the Indian culture, Indian historical context. And Amir Khan, you know, he's one of the the three Khans, one of the three biggest stars. And I think you're right. I mean, you you touched on something a minute ago. If Netflix or Amazon or any of the Paramount Plus, any of these platforms can make content that appeals to the Indian audience, but that they don't really have to repurpose and can play in America or in the UK or Mexico and it's it's popular overseas. Think of it as like three hits in one, right? So if like Triple R yeah. helps grow the subscriber base in the US because it's so good, it's exclusive to Netflix, that's really a home run for them because before their PLs were like, you know, judging things based on one country. You know, the, yeah. the spend is going to be X. And if it succeeds in one country, that's a success. But if it succeeds in three or four or five, you know, that's a phenomenal success. And hopefully that will be the trend. Yeah. Look, I love it. I want to see more. And clearly I need to see Triple R before I make more comments. But but despite all of this, I would say representing South Asian talent, as I do from time to time, it's still yeah. really hard for them to get to get cast, to get roles, yeah. to get paid the same to get parody and credit, to get included in trailers, like all of those things. I mean, despite all the progress that's being made and all the progress we've talked about earlier, there's still so much left to do in terms of getting them treated on parody or or, or in leading roles. I, I mean, it's just, I'm glad to see these examples that we talked about and I'm glad that there's more of them, but it's still an uphill battle. Yeah, and not being typecasted, right? right. I think um, that's the one where it's like, you don't want them just playing the, characters that people have been familiar with for a long time. I think, you know, who's done a really good job at this is Riz Ahmed, um, who has not been typecasted and he's been in everything from like, you know, uh, Venom and he was in, uh, I think he was in the Bourne movie, but he's just been great about selecting good roles, representing Pakistan, um, you know, British Pakistanis. And he's done a tremendous job in, in selecting the right roles and getting those roles and just outshining on film. Well, you actually suggested that he should play Paul in Better Call Paul the movie. Um, I, I did. Yeah, Better Call Paul the movie starring Riz Ahmed and maybe Dev Patel, uh, who would play me. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> he could rock yeah. the long hair. He could rock 
Kid Rock. We know that. <laughs> uh, I, I think this was a good episode. It's sort of like a celebration of South yeah. Asian culture in, in the U.S. And, and overseas. And I'm excited to see more of it. Me too, man. You got to watch Triple R. I'm going to watch Triple R right after I watch this Arsenal game and get to the weekend. All right. Thanks, everyone. That's our episode for this week. All right, guys, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast, Spotify, Apple, wherever you choose to listen. Follow us on Instagram at Better Call Paul the Podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Meshlakani. This episode is edited and produced by Valentino Rivera and Marco Seiler Gonzalez. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. Take care, everyone. <laughs>